The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. And now, here's Brandon. Welcome back to Old Space Show. I'm Brandon, and this is my companion, Stephen. Ahoy, ahoy. This series of Old Space Show has followed the intergalactic swashbuckling escape antics of Roach Blake and his ruffian crew in the first season of Blake 7. Today, we are discussing the 13th and final episode Orac. In this episode, Blake and his crew go on a life-saving mission to the planet Aristo, where they must stop Orac, a highly advanced computer, falling into the Federation's hands. But Servalan and Travis have located it too, and Blake is caught in a race against time for the second week in a row uh, to save the lives of his crew. This one is directed by, it says, I saw Michael E. Bryant and Veer Lormer, but was it Veer Lormer and Michael E. Bryant was the flashback stuff or the stuff from last week? I think it was. I think it, okay. yeah, it definitely was. It was definitely a Veer Lormer. <laughs> for, for those of you who know Veer Lormer's style, it was definitely a Veer Lormer directed thing. All but, uh, right. But yes, we alluded to this last week with the uh, uh, the the tie-in. Basically, Blake sitting Avon Downs is there. Look at the screen right there, and I'll recap what happened <laughs> for you and maybe the viewers too. Uh, it's kind of great that uh, everything was recorded. Uh, on and look at just they they got a ta- they got a tape of the show is yep. what they got um it's like the uh, instant replay uh review almost for in sports when they go to check out the replay that's that's true what we got here um written by Terry Seven Nation Army <laughs> starring Gareth Thomas Sally Nivet Paul Darrow Jan Chapel Michael Keaton David Jackson Peter Tudnam Jacqueline Pierce Stephen Grief the cast of last week but now Derek Farr James Muir, Paul Kidd, and Tony Conter. Um, let's start with the Who Watch, Stephen. Uh, only James Muir, who was a, a very prolific extra in uh, in Doctor Who and many other BBC circles. Uh, he was in many, many different things. I was just watching The Sunmakers recently. He was in that. I think he shows up as a butler who gets murdered in Black Orchid and many, many other things. Um, once again, I just want to point out that that is exactly off the top of my head. Yes, I haven't seen the movie Avatar, but I have seen James <laughs> Muir be an extra in multiple BBC productions. That's funny. You just watched The Sunmaker. I just watched The Sunmakers. That was one I I watched on my when I was on vacation. I, I had my, one of my plane rides. I watched The Sunmakers. Right. I had it loaded up from my and, hard, hard drive. And why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't I you? I was it's like, great. you know what? Let's see. Indianapolis to Phoenix. We'll, we'll do Sunmakers from this place to this place. Yeah. We'll do... I did... Uh, what else did I... Um, uh, 
Happiness Patrol was one of them. Yeah, that was interesting. Wow, yeah, that was. Yeah, I, I, I put one from each doctor for the plane trips. Happiness oh. Patrol, uh, Tomb of the Cybermen, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, oh, I just put the Awakening on there because I was like, well, if there's two parter, throw it on there. <laughs> Why not? If you got, if you only got time for two two half hour episodes. Yeah, give you that one. I yep. went to I went to the Awakening because so I was like, yeah, you know what? I haven't watched this in a long time. So there we went with that. So uh, we pick up from last week, as we talked about. They they do a, a recap in the a clever way, as Zen is the replay machine. He uh, picked up the broadcast from the previous week, and uh, we're we're heading to Aristo, mm-hmm. uh, and to find Orac, which. We've mentioned this before, but Terry Nation and his clever, clever, clever naming conventions for things. <laughs> yes, that's always. <laughs> it's a thing. It's a thing that he does. I'm going to say ORAC now, folks, but when we get later to discussion of the episode, guess what it probably was short for? We'll, we'll see if you mm-hmm. can guess. But uh, so Jenna, this episode, in her like most relaxed and s- somewhat incidentally see-through um Close for the season. <laughs> it was. It was. Uh, she's having some an trouble. Interesting costuming choice. Interesting costuming choice. Yeah. There was a. There was a. Because she's starting to feel ill, and there's a scene where it's like a medium shot or something, and her and Callie walk right by the camera, and I was like, "Oh wow!" Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think I just saw her nipple through the yeah, shirt. You did. You did. Uh, and this isn't a case of like, oh well, it's HD now, and you can. No, nope. you can see it. No, this is still video. This is video. It was streaming quality on was... BritBox, and I saw it. So uh, yeah, yeah. yep, that's mm-hmm. what I saw. And yeah, it's not like when I saw there's a slasher movie called um, "He Knows You're Alone." It's one of Tom Hanks' first movies, right? And I always watched it. And if I came out on you know HD and I watched it, there's a scene where there's like a aerobics uh, class or something, and uh, like nobody's wearing bras. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I never noticed that before till HD. This wow. was not the case. This was mm-hmm. not the case. So I was like, "Wow, um, did if we see it here? They had to have seen it on set, right?" Uh, I think so. But then again, it was the 1970s, and things were things were different back then. Things were different in many, were we many ways. Before the the uh, no uh, the Mary, what's her name, complaints, but which she wouldn't have been complaining about. This show, this is probably on later. Exactly, yeah. Unless, yeah. yeah. So I don't think I don't. Yeah, I don't ever recall legendary uh, complainer Mary Whitehouse, who uh, yeah. uh, almost single-handedly took down Doctor Who um, for being too adult. Uh, I don't think she ever uh, set her target for for Blake Seven. Uh, gotcha. At least not that I've heard of it. So okay, uh, yeah, because yeah. that's. Yeah, I'm not sitting here being like, oh my gosh, how dare they show? Uh, you know, I, I I watch House of Dragon and stuff like that. I've seen. I'm just. <laughs> You you just don't expect to see it. Uh, I'm not a church lady here. I'm just no. saying, like, I'm just yeah. like, oh wow, I did not expect this. And I know what the times are like. I know mm. what TV was like back then. I was like, oh shoot, yeah, that was crazy. Um, so yeah, she's having trouble. Uh, we have this old man on Aristo named Ensor, who is Ensor Senior. We met Ensor Junior last week. Yep. Um, and he's in this like greenhouse lab type thing which it looks like there's a set from space 1999 that looks just like this <laughs> kind of reminds me oddly enough of uh, what three weeks ago and i'm trying to think of the um 
uh the the episode with tp mckenna where he's in that house with you know with the car and everything and it's just sort of like mm, yep. we're, we're we're kind of introduced to him in the same way here yeah. he is in his eclectic weird lair uh looking at his various different uh things in his collection sometimes talking to himself yes. uh like ensor is here um and i thought i thought they were both very very similar this is me and my curious curiosities here i'm ensor this is orak and we'll be showing you plants today and we uh, don't actually see orak that's a good like he's right. he's speaking to orak whatever this mm-hmm. orak thing is uh and we're seeing we're you know it's just sort of this unseen voice also voiced by derek farr right uh, in this episode and this episode only mm-hmm. um and so it, it sort of leads on and then there's a later on and there's a shot where it sort of goes to like the sort of monoptican floating eye thing i uh, think oh is that what orak is and stuff because we see it a little bit later but uh they, they sort of preserve the mystery um for for quite a while through this episode as to what orak is the mystery built last week what is yes. Orak? Orak mm. as I die. Uh, but there's a yeah. So so he's we we see this room, but we don't know exactly where this room is, right? Because it's not. It's revealed later that it's underground. It's not. There's right no establishing yeah, shot there's no, or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, we just assume they're gonna come upon a building or a, or how like you know what are those like. Uh, factory mill places they always have in these shows. <laughs> yeah, there'll but, be some ga- gas works or something like yes. that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Serverland and Travis are on foot, um, which is cool because he knows they're there, but he mm-hmm. assumes hostile because they didn't make contact before they landed and were on the planet. So I thought that was a neat little touch mm-hmm. of things. And there's like a, a, a trap door in the middle of like a beach that's on the other side of like a rock quarry. I was uh, I always like it when uh, when BBC shows have to um, alter the environment at that they're shooting on location because they probably had to dig a hole. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. To to get that little uh, trap door in there. And there's the and then there later on that's that little transporter pod, mm-hmm. which uh, when oh, they yeah. first shot it, I thought, oh, is this is this actually there? Did they actually bring this thing out on location? That never happens in, in BBC science fiction, but they did. They did. Kudos to them. Yeah, that and the, yeah, like the trap door they had to like dig and then build hinges to make it look believable like i don't mm-hmm. it was it's pretty yeah pretty interesting and i the uh, underground tunnels and stuff look believable too i don't know if those were uh, those are definitely they weren't in cap real caves were they i think it they was were. on real caves those was are real caves? Uh, okay. either real caves or in ealing but i think the it's it shot on like, film so i always assume oh location but yeah yeah it like seven it, you never know it, it looked like real caves uh i don't think it was ealing um but i could could be a mistake. I know you can sort of tell when it's when it's a set, even when it's on Ealing, because the the camera angles can afford to be a little uh, more relaxed. I think, but mm-hmm. I think it, things were kind of tight. They kind of shot everything pretty tight in this. When that yeah, weird did. monster, they they did a good job at sort of just you know not shooting too much of the the, the cheap monster, which mm-hmm. was menacing. Uh, uh, Servalan in the body. You see her, like you know, the claw sort of come out, and then uh, like a little bit of of a close up. But uh, but we never saw the whole thing, which is probably good because I think that little looked a little bit silly. But gotcha. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because yeah, you never you hear about the Phibians, but you don't see them. Mm-hmm. You know they're bad. You see arms and things like that. But yeah, smart move. Smart move. Yeah. Um, a thing I didn't think was smart. So Callie and Blake, they're the A squad. They get sent down to Aristotle mm-hmm. or I mean, Aristotle to check it out. But then we have 
the rest, the other four have this radiation sickness and are just stuck aboard the Liberator with it. And I'm like, really? This is the finale. Like, this is what they're giving them to do? It's just... Well, it gives them, I suppose, a, you know, it's not like, oh, well, let's just go down and see what ORAC is. Like, there is, you know, there's an urgency now that is created. They're hoping right. that Ensor has uh, <laughs> drugs to cure radiation sickness. Luckily, he has tons. Right. You know, as if anyone, like, oh, yeah, it's in the medicine cabinet. We keep those there all the time. What an amazing coincidence. Uh, so I could see why they did that. Because otherwise, they could just say, oh, let's go check out this uh, this Edsor guy and see what he has. And then, you know, there's no real incentive to ha- to help them at all. Although, it's not much of a search. They just sort of ask him, do you right, have yeah. any drugs? Yeah, I got them. Okay. Okay. Well, we don't have to worry about that anymore, do we? Cool. We came to the right person on the right planet in the right place. <laughs> yep. So yeah, I just, I just, conceptually, it's just like we're just gonna leave those four to just do what they do a lot of weeks. Yeah. Not, not give them. It just, yeah. I, I guess it's uh, if it's something on season. I mean, we're gonna reflect on it later, but like season one, maybe they just couldn't figure out how to handle a cast of six. I I think so. I I mean they they have they ever really got it right in this whole season uh, properly, um you know handing out enough for each cast member to do. I don't think they ever did. I think they came close with it for little bits here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Cygnus Alpha might be bad, but then again the the whole crew isn't there yet, so there are definitely split up onto two different planets, and we don't have Cal yet now. So yeah. ever since they actually became seven with Zen, it doesn't feel like they've they've ever managed to give everyone enough to do. Right. It's like they know what they want to do with Callie, but once Callie arrived and started getting used, Jenna became less. Yeah. And then it was there was something working when it was there was a like a there was Jenna, Blake, Avon, and Villa, and then there was, for a period, it was just Jenna, Blake, Villa, or not Villa, but Avon. Yeah. And it seemed like there was something there, and then they, they get the whole crew, to, and then Gan is, the, I don't know what they're, they need a muscle, the guy who's muscle, or... And yeah, then they never I, use them for that. <laughs> you can you can kind of tell that they sort of wrote the outline of the characters before they sort of knew what to do with them. They think, mm-hmm. well, we need a big muscle guy, so that'll be Gan. We need sort of the uh, the um, uh, the the, the lockbreaker, the rogue, so to speak. That's Villa. We kind of need the uh, the computer genius. There's Ava. We need the pilot. There's Jenna. Uh, we need the warrior. There's um, Callie, and then we need the leader. And there's Raj. And uh, eventually you sort of like, well, Callie's a warrior. She could do the fighting. Raj would look weak. Uh, Blake would look weak if he couldn't do fighting himself. All of them have guns. So all of a sudden it's like, and Gan has a limiter, which we hear mentioned for the last time ever on the show last week. Right. So there's even something holding him back within the drama of the piece. So you you kind of see that the writing is on the wall for poor Gan. There's a yeah. there's an anecdote that he tells. I don't know if it's from this season or the next, where he he. Go, he comes to the, I think the producer David Maloney or the director and says and just with a number uh, thing written down on a piece of paper it says five. It says what's this one? What's five? That's the number of lines I have in this episode. It was like oh. he he could tell that like he's just not getting used at all in these shows and it's uh yeah it's uh and so of course 
when you need someone to be sick with radiation sickness, it's Gan, and he does nothing. And even Avon and Jenna at least sort of like you know man the teleporter, and right. eventually, eventually Avon uh, drags uh, drags her down to the planet, drags Villa down to the planet uh, at the very end because he's just sort of tired of waiting around. But uh, yeah. it's not Gan that does that. Yeah, and it, and it's also it's funny too. They keep pairing Blake with with Callie when they obviously are wanting to craft some like love dynamic between him and jenna it's like well that's the that's who you're sending okay okay yeah sure. yeah and they like jenna got captured in last week's episode he didn't blake did not care no. <laughs> no, i think i don't think yeah i think the writers sort of gave up the guys yeah. this is this is probably not a storyline that we should yeah. be going down so we'll just so, we'll just eliminate that right, right now um so Speaking of Blake and Callie uh, going to the surface, Ensor uh, and Orak they have a um, a phantasm ball that orders them around with their their like the the movie phantasm uh, the little silver balls that they kill people in those movies. Right. He's got one that talks to people um, here and guides them around the beach, and it's got that transporter that you talked about that comes up. Yeah, and um, yeah, and we, when he's talking about the ball. That's guiding them. Uh, Blake, uh, Blake says, "You should try and capture it. Perhaps Avon would like it as a pet." <laughs> like, yeah, that's a nice one, Blake. Yeah. That's a nice one. Um, but yeah, they uh, they basically they they meet in the underground with Ensor, and they they quickly come to agreement that like we we should do business together somehow. Um, we can get the we got the fuel cells for your heart. I've got the radiation stuff for your people, and we got this Orac thing that I think I'm getting swindled out of. Mm-hmm. And he's a box. Orac is a box-sized computer capable of tapping into any other computer containing terial cells and either controlling them or extracting information. That's a giant box. It's like this this road case that needs to be carried by two people. Yeah, it's basically it's- an iPhone seven. Let's yeah. face it. <laughs> Uh, it, it's bigger than their normal uh, cooler they usually use when they go down to planets. It takes two people. <laughs> yeah, but it's like who's which two people are going to care? Uh, you kind of get an impression. Ah, maybe now we found something for Gan to do. He could be the one no. that carries Orac. Nope. Yeah, put him on his back and walk around with Orac. Like yeah. Ah, like so, you, so <laughs> like turn around, Gan. I'm not talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yep. Oh my gosh. Uh, so. There's also, um, so Avon and Villa end up going down to Risto at one point, and there's a CSO shot of them when they're like, they're like, oh, you guys aren't really there. No, it's bad. It's <laughs> not a right. good shot. It's at like all. when we were in that forest with Travis and the uh, mutoid or whatever yeah. from a couple, I'm like, oh, that's a pickup shot. Yep, and uh, you get the impression that's exactly what happened here too. Yeah, and it maybe, wasn't like they yeah. transported and they needed the effect. It was no. just them like chatting. Yep. Yeah, they must I, either something went wrong with the uh, the effect on location, or they didn't have time to shoot it, or they ran out of light, or something like that. I think that's probably. I hope that wasn't a creative decision to think. Ah, you know what? We could just shoot that in here. I thought perhaps if Villa and Avon never actually showed up on location, then maybe that would explain uh, it. But they do. They, they do, do at the yeah, end of the they episode. Do, yeah. So it didn't. Uh, it didn't make sense for them to be there, other than some mess up somewhere along the line yeah uh, we're shy 30 seconds can you because it's not a long shot they, no. they know they don't want to try to convince anybody for longer than they have to 
So it must have been a mistake that they mm-hmm. were fixing with that. But oh yeah, it's it's super obvious. Um but if we were watching it on like a, you know, twenty inch CRT back on broadcast yeah. in our homes, maybe we would you have noticed, noticed that much? Probably not. Yeah. That's yeah. But we have to point it out because that's what we do. That's what we do. That's what we do. Uh so the the uh, the whole deal with Ensor seems all great till they get barricaded underground by Travis Servalon's explosion. Um, uh, Fibian even attacks down there, uh, but en- Ensor they find an escape, which is like, oh look, there's a there's a ladder over there. <laughs> After all this, and uh, so they didn't really barricade well because I think it's the the hatch they came down in, right? Mm-hmm. So. Good job, is. Travis and Servalan. I, I like though that I mentioned it before the scene where Servalan gets sort of gets uh, accosted, not really. Well, it gets attacked by the by the the creature. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that because uh, Jacqueline Pierce does such a great job at like she's experiencing. Oh, we've never really seen her experience fear before. Like she's proper terrified, right? Uh, for like a few seconds, uh, and then Travis, you know, Travis sort of comes in. Are you okay? And stuff like. Yes, obviously. It says, oh, you know, do you want me to lead the way? No, you can follow. Like, she sort of, like, immediately sort of gets her her uh, her stiff upper lip back up and says, no, I'm in charge here. I might have had a momentary lapse there where I was attacked by the strange creature, but I am now back and I am in charge, and you will do the following again. And the, the, that slight bit of vulnerability, she uh, Jacqueline Pierce made her not pathetic but certainly like you know she she made it look like she had let her guard down and regretted doing so and immediately sort of like compensated to to mm-hmm. not appear weak in, in Travis's eyes i thought that was really well done by her oh it's great and she she's a performer that i've i've really only seen her here uh, in Blake 7 for you know four seasons and then Doctor Who, the two doctors. Me too. Uh, but she's yeah. someone i really need to seek out more of her work cuz i really enjoy her presence um, in those, in both of those shows, um, and I have to wonder, like, what what's she like in a just a straight up drama rather than genre TV and stuff? So. Yeah, me too. Speaking of uh, of appearing, I don't know if you noticed anything, but uh, but there's a lot of uh, a lot of film footage in this. Yeah, Trav- Travis and uh, and um, Servaland in the tunnels and stuff, mm-hmm. and then there's a brief couple of scenes where they actually get into Ensor's place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you noticed anything, but we never see Travis's face during those scenes. Oh. There's there's a reason for that. Stephen Grief, the actor who played Travis, in between the film uh, scenes, when they shot those on film, and between the next studio session, played tennis, tore his Achilles tendon, and could not walk. <gasps> so they had cool. to get a body double... <laughs> And and basically shoot from the neck down for a couple shots, and they're disguised by uh, trees and leaves and Ensor's lab and stuff. And then Servaland gets a map and plunks it down, and and so and then Travis uh, Stephen Grief just sort of does a voiceover for his lines and stuff, but it's not him on there because he couldn't actually physically walk in them. So a lot had to be rejiggered for even that little scene and a half to happen because of a of a tennis injury. And is it next season? he gets replaced he does so that's, that's it the for last him. time this is that's it the last like, time yeah he didn't even get to finish his final scenes no wow sad isn't it his last scenes were basically him probably on crutches or in a wheelchair uh delivering oh his my. um his adr dialogue yeah 
Wow. That's... Oh, wow. You going to be ready to shoot next week? We're doing Series 2. <laughs> I don't think so. I've decided to take up tennis, which is the good news. The bad news is... Yeah. Oh. I won't be walking for six months. Yeah. I won't be able to do Wimbledon and Blake 7. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I... Because what the next day we get uh, another Boucher added to the the roster of Blake Seven people, right? That's the guy who replaces him. It's Croucher, Brian Croucher, Croucher, Croucher yeah. not Boucher, yeah. Croucher. Cr- an Croucher, Boucher. an Oucher, an Oucher, yeah. the Oucher named um, uh, Brian Croucher. Yep. Yes. Um, interesting. That's. I wonder if that th- th- is that why they replaced him, or is no? I think he just wanted to move on. He, I think he had a, uh, I think he had a play or something like that, okay. a, a theater uh, commitment or something, and so I think he carried on with that, or maybe he just felt like he had had done it, uh, what he could with the part. So this was, uh, yeah, this was the end of. of Didn't Stephen like wearing Grief. that thing on my face. The end could, could have been that too. That's could why I, that. I, you know, with people in TV nowadays, it's probably different because with computer stuff but like anytime someone gets like a limb torn off or get something horribly done to their face they have to wear an eye patch or a scar or something at a show i'm like ah, i bet they're gonna get killed off soon nobody <laughs> wants to nobody wants to wear that all the time nobody wants to act like they have no hand all the time like they're they're on yep. their way out but mm-hmm. nowadays eh, it could be different yeah, I think like Patty Considine like wears like a, a green glove or something to uh, so they could just easily CG out his missing fingers on House of mm. the Dragon. I've yep. never actually looked close enough to know that he is missing fingers. So more Fumi. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. and then there, I mean, the, Jamie Lannister and Game of Thrones. You guys, hey, but they, they found a way to. You know, That's true. Here, him. have a have a have a hand sized uh, metal glove on. There, there you go. go. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's that's what they can do. Um, so yeah. Ensor doesn't make it. <laughs> he dies right as they they they, they, uh, they go to escape. But the, the, Kelly <laughs> conveniently, Jacob has a really cold. She says, "I'm sorry, just a little longer. We might have saved you." We the, might the have line saved delivery. You. I don't know if it's supposed to be that way, but it was a really unemotional and unaffecting like delivery i was just like Ooh. It, i know it's kind of like she looked like she pulled a tub of yogurt out of the fridge and it's like three days passes due to yeah oh if it was a little quicker we might have been able to save you in the bin it goes that's pretty much what very convenient very convenient that this uh this ed store fellow oh, sure let's go and let's go and get cured back on the ship oh we died on the way back to the ship and you know it's just uh and they didn't even waste time yeah which is the oddest thing like they, it, it he deteriorated quite quickly and conveniently, might I add, and say, "Oh right. well, I guess Orax an orphan now, so you got nowhere else to go. So you're coming with us, right? There you go, slow poke. Yeah, Ta- I'll take this. Um, so yeah, they uh, they go at uh, Serverland, Travis, Blake, Callie, Orac, Rock Quarry showdown." Yeah, so we get to at the end, uh, and Serverland's like gonna give permission to Travis to kill Blake, and then Avon blasts his hand, and he said, "Hedge." Blake goes, "Good shot, Avon." He goes, "I was aiming for his head," <laughs> which is great. That is a great one. Yeah. Um, and then of course Blake takes the high road. He doesn't offer. He's not gonna kill Travis Serverland, but he's gonna mm-hmm. leave them on the planet and send a message to the Federation that the two let him take Orac. And uh, according, from what I know, the the Federation would be like, "What's Orac?" Because this isn't <laughs> like we've never. This is all under the, under the table here. Yeah. We never knew anything about it. Yeah. He said Orac Serverland. What is uh-huh. Orac? It, it must have got cut off the transmission. It was uh, 
uh, Oric and I don't know. But yeah, it's kind of weird. I'm like, wait, wasn't Orac like only known by her? And right. So yeah, just kind of thought that was weird. But it was, you know, Blake's a little like, oh, I could take care of this now. Or you know what? Let's we're gonna have more seasons. So you guys live. Uh huh. <laughs> we can I know. There's a lot of times when like Travis leaves Blake alive and vice versa. It's just like okay, <laughs> you know. I see how this goes. Robin Hood lets the sheriff of Nottingham and Guy Gisbert off the hook yet again. We shall meet again, Skeletor. Yeah. Yes. Um. So yeah, Orac has Ensor's voice as you mentioned for this episode. Uh, and they hook it up to Liberator and. He claims to have the same personality, a bit snobby, and he says, modesty is dishonesty, which that's a bumper sticker. <laughs> that totally is a ribbon of the convention or something. I like how I, I like how he gets Avon to laugh. It almost looks genuine. It almost looks like Paul Darrow's mm-hmm. just broken out into laughter during that shot. And then we got to get along, Orac. But yeah. then he like, Orac says he can see the future, so <laughs> what a you're playing thing. the game, folks. <laughs> Oracle. Uh, Oracle. Yeah. Oh, Oracle. You didn't get that? I didn't get that. I didn't oh, about that. Yeah. Wow. I never like, thought yeah. about that. Oracle. I was like, oh, Terry. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a, what an odd thing to say. Oh, here, there are many things I could do. One of them is see the future. Let's see what's going to happen sometime in the future. Unspecified. Next and time he, on Blake 7. <laughs> and he shows the, what looks to be the Liberator blowing up. And it's shot kind of confusingly because they're sort of looking at it. And uh, Jenna goes, Blake. And the camera crash zooms in on Blake's face. And then the, the Liberator, from what we can see, blows up. And for a second there, I'm thinking... Did we just, is that the Liberator on the screen or did the Liberator blow up? And nope, don't time to, to decipher that now. This episode and the season is ending and the music crashes in. But I thought, it. so what I was watching, it was the, it was the shot, like, because they're looking at it through Zen. Yeah. And it looked like it was still a circle when the thing blew up. I'm like, so did we just watched the future one blow up. That's the cliffhanger. <laughs> Yeah, I guess, yeah. But, that, but, oh, but in the future it blows up. So what can we do to oh, avert yes, this? yes, true. Yeah. Yes, that's, da, 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 da. that's what they were going for. So yep. if Zen counts, then Orat counts, so we have Blake's eight. For right. now we do, I guess. Yeah, yeah it is it's Blake's the hateful eight. Um how about that? <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, was this a good was this good like, oh, I gotta get back next season, cliffhanger. I mean, it was enticing enough. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I was going to come back anyway uh, yes. for it, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, but maybe other people weren't. Uh, but you know what? It got like what ten point six million people, mm-hmm. uh, which I think uh, was about one point five million more than the the week before. This this series did pretty good ratings yeah. right out of the block, and pretty much hovered pretty consistently in the eight to ten million range. Um, for the whole season and, uh, and good for them. Good for them for, for, you know, and maybe it was timing, you know, people just saw Star Wars like in December of 77 and thought, Hey, space travel, this is fun. Wow. It's a new show and it looks like it's in space. Let's watch it. And maybe it was just the, the zeitgeist of, uh, of science fiction happening, uh, on, you know, in, in, in the universe again. And, and people were sort of drawn to that. I don't know, but, uh, but it was a bona fide hit right out of the gate. Yeah. Um, was this, 
uh, ratings wise, was this running concurrent or around the time of what Key to Time or season fifteen or Doctor Who? Season fifteen. This is the latter half of season fifteen. So we're sort of into invasion of time territory right here. I I think this aired on Monday nights. I think on BBC One okay. at like seven thirty five. So a later time slot and a different day. Doctor Who was on Saturdays. So they were never in competition with each. Obviously yeah. not because we're both on BBC One. Uh, but there wasn't like one trailing the other or anything like that. So, right. so they were kind of seen as, you know, two, two rather I- instantly iconic. And I think actually judging by the ratings, I think Blake Seven was actually beating Doctor Who in the ratings at this they're point. They're close. By- um, if what you were saying with Blake Seven, yeah. So they're, it looks like it's doing a little better, but they're in the same wheelhouse. Yeah. Because Doctor Who's, uh, the season 15 picks up in ratings as it goes. Um, but yeah, Blake Seven's doing eight and a half. That's right in there. And it, not doing it's not hitting the lows doctor who's hitting in that not that doctor who was hitting like bad lows at that time mm-hmm. but not hitting the lows and hitting higher highs maybe, yeah but, or close yeah. to yeah but yeah that's that's a hit show that's mm-hmm. i mean i don't know what it was what was it running against did you say already i don't know what it was running against okay. on on itv um gotcha. but um uh, but on a monday on monday nights it was uh it was it was part of the staple part of the staple of, of programming so uh uh for 13 weeks it uh had hit good enough i don't know when they got their renewal notice for season two and for season three but um uh i suppose that's something to discuss uh when we when we when we watch those series right, i'm looking exactly. forward to series two now a lot more than uh well, that than one's got sort of, gambit <laughs> the, the, oh, oh, oh yes it the, does oh my god if you see uh, one episode of blake seven yeah Let you might not gambit. understand what's going on but <laughs> it's the it is it is not the best 50 minutes of blake seven ever but it is the greatest 50 minutes <laughs> of blake seven ever yes oh so yeah that that's our season here um so overall thoughts on, on the first season as a whole like like uh, I, yeah, I liked it. I uh, I I think the first three episodes are superb. I think mm-hmm. it stumbles a little bit for a couple before they sort of decide on what they are. After that, um, uh, it's weird when you know coming to watch it and then talk about it. I I get the I, for some reason I had in the back of my mind, and maybe you had this thought too, is that it was very. Serverland and Travis centric in this mm, season, mm-hmm. but it wasn't no. as much. I thought it was more so, but it really wasn't. She sort of comes into her own in the in the second and third seasons, I think, uh, and in this one, not so much. She's she's almost more behind the desk, so to speak, uh, than she's even out in the field. She doesn't quite seem as vindictive yet. Um, I sense we'll get, we'll be getting a little more operatic in, in season two. Uh, so we kind of get a muted Servaland, but, uh, but it's interesting to see, uh, the genesis of that character and indeed all the characters. Yeah. Scripts are probably getting commissioned already, stuff like that, but the, it, season two can actually have a reaction to what has happened in season one and, you know, know what's working, what's not, um, more Serverland, more Travis. Keep it going. But yeah, this season, like, it had a great hook to start. I like the, yeah, like you said, the first three episodes. And then it, it worked its way to a point where I can be enjoying just a rote episode of Blake 7, even if it's not with, like, Travis and Serverland. I can just kind of mm-hmm. sit back. If it's a week-to-week thing. And I watched all these standalone. Like, I tried to do my best not to, you know, 
pile on. We would re-recorded these in blocks of three and blocks of two, and I tried not to do back-to-back or three in a row at all. And I didn't. I I, only, I might watch two days in a row, but um, mm-hmm. I think that you know it's quite enjoyable there. Before, when I watched through the series, I, w- I would watch multiple episodes but you know these shows were only meant to be watched once a week um maybe on a rerun thing if they had like a block and they showed it for two hours which i i'm not sure they would have right Um, but yeah i i really even like the the most bland average blake seven after they kind of start figuring things out better there's that episode what four and five and maybe six kind of are searching for something, yeah. Uh, that they f- and then they find it. Once they find it, even something weird like the one with the little screaming aliens. What was that one? <laughs> the web. The web. The web. Four. I can yeah. t- I can get through a web if I know something else is. You know, it, a web's fine in the middle of something with like a, a duel coming after or something like that. It works. Yeah, because like, it's like oh, I'm taking a break from this I, i'm going to the monster of the week episode um which is something that i think is highly undervalued nowadays in television is and uh, i think people aren't with, with such heavy serialization we don't mm. we don't get like the lost episode where hurley makes a golf course out of stuff on the island and we sit and just enjoy the characters to build through them through that uh we get mythology all the time every time um, yeah. And, yeah. and there's a hint of serialization in, you know, the first three mm-hmm. episodes are sort of one piece, so to speak. I think they really sort of follow one from another to another. Um, and then the final two are sort of that. And then, you know, stuff happens. Yeah. It isn't sort of forgotten about. You know, whatever's happened to Travis, for instance, uh, isn't just ignored in the next episode. Right, like, yes. Like there are still ramifications of his failure in the previous uh, in the previous appearance of him, you know, so there's, there's a slight, it's, it's not just completely forget it. And like I hit the reset button, which I think oddly enough, I think TV gets even more so in the eighties before it finally gets to be a little more serialized. I feel, mm-hmm. I, I guess I'm appreciative of that, of, of the, the slight serialization of 1970s TV. It's interesting yeah. how, like, I'm just thinking of Star Trek The Next Generation, which is my main experience with 1980s science fiction TV, and it is overtly not serialized. There's a, there's an episode mm-hmm. where Worf becomes paralyzed, and the end of the episode is him learning to walk again, and the next week, he is fine. Right. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It's like nothing has happened, and uh, that's how the 80s were in... in, in um, and, you know, serialize, um, uh, syndication for the most part. They said, well, we don't know when these episodes are going to air, so we can't do it at all. And so I like that 1970s TV wasn't quite where TV is now, but it wasn't as standalone or disposable as perhaps we might think it would be. Yeah, somebody was paying, somebody was on the set for all the episodes saying something rather than just new people in, new people out, what script we doing? Yeah. There's obviously a right, well, if we have one writer, so there's a one person granted Chris Boucher has his hands all over this but we have Terry Nation's guideline that he knows what's happening every episode to every person and everything so there's that going on that probably probably helps to some degree to add that um and I was going to say I've been watching um I have a network TV show again. I watch and I've been as we're recording this. There's only been three episodes, but the new Quantum Leap on NBC, mm-hmm. and it is I 
I've been talking to people like off air stuff like about how refreshing it is to watch it because it it's TV for one like honest to goodness TV and it's serialized but it is fo- like its episode has its own story there's a little bit of a, a hook that gets you episode to episode that's a bigger plot for like a season but it's not yeah. like a huge focus and if if you I don't know like I say if you miss a week you're gonna lose out but you or you'll be fine but it's not like in your face that this is the most important thing it's like well it's relaxed like you'll get more as it goes <laughs> it's food to talk about but I, I'm just kind of enjoying that relaxed thing like I think people like uh the the well the old Buffy the Vampire Slayer had serialization down perfect like X-Files mm-hmm. they had the serialization down good for television um granted heavy serialized shows can be wonderful too but i'm just like everything is so but adherence to like super continuity and always yeah. have to be important all the time and just it's easier to watch just like you know what i want to watch an episode of blake seven uh i'm gonna watch gambit i'm gonna watch mm-hmm. countdown and what you know it's easier just to sort of pick and choose when it's not so heavily serialized but yeah. imagine like i'm gonna watch season three of lost episode 12 uh okay sure i mean yeah. you you don't cherry pick episodes like that just to watch you feel like you have to binge the entire series all seven seasons of it jump on into of game of thrones and house of dragon just just roulette wheel it it's very difficult it's very difficult to do that yeah i just yeah it's very and these show that's how they picked up new fans all the time because you could easily access and figure it out and there's always that whole the whole comic book thing with people like, well, I got to start from the beginning or, oh, that's intense. Like, I can't just pick up Spider-Man. You can because you can figure out who the bad guy is. You can figure out who the good guy is. And then you'll fill in the blanks on the past stuff later if you want to. But just yeah. pick it up, dive in. And that's, I mean, I don't think any of us first Doctor Who episode was an unearthly child. Jumped, right? You jumped in somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was in there. Um, but, yeah, it's... It's it's just weird to think about like how heavily in this this kind of I like this that there is some serialization things they do remember things but it's mm-hmm. not the first priority. Granted, it used to be all right. We got thirteen episodes. Fill them. Make right. that space stuff. So, uh, but yeah, um, I like it, Matt. Uh, any favorite characters of yours so far? Uh, I mean, the regular cast are great. Um, I I like Avon. It's in having seen the entire series. I know that Avon gets even better. Yeah, I think I think the writers are also kind of think you know they're just just sort of getting to the cusp of what he's about towards the end of this season. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I I so I I like seeing the genesis of all that. Um, I think so with Villa too. Actually, I think they're all sort of um. You know, it, it can sometimes when you're when you're creating like six lead characters, uh, you sort of like here's all they are, and and you you, you almost like overpopulate them with with character traits and everything, and that kind of gets whittled down and forgotten about. But here, it's really I think it sort of builds up. I think we have a long way to go to sort of flesh these characters yeah. out a little more. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you know easily Servalan Travis uh, like them. Uh, I, I like Callie. We don't give a, we're not given a lot about we'll get get more on her later, but like I think the actor just kind of plays it really interesting. 
um, mm-hmm. as she goes around stuff. So she's she's a she's probably my favorite person of all of them to go walk around searching for things. I don't know why. Like that that's a lot of the show. Like we land somewhere, we look for things, or we meet these people, and she's not human. She's not human in the same sense as our other characters. She's got a telepathy thing that they kind of like dropped um, right. for the last few episodes. Um, but the way Jan Chapel portrays it and can play the genre stuff of searching around, combat, things like that is um, probably tops maybe the group for me. And, of course, Avon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we all like Avon. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I mean, we, we sort of joke about poor Gan. Uh, you know, poor Gan just doesn't have as much to do. Mm-hmm. I don't dislike anybody in the cast. I just... I just yeah. I kind, I'm kind of sad that they don't always have uh, some... You know, some helpful aspect to the to the story. Sometimes it feels like it's they're too heavily sort of just sort of crowbarring these characters in. You know, yeah, it's it's a yeah. We Gam became a humorous point of man. They're really not doing anything with him, and they just it's probably a writers' room thing, not a actor thing. Yeah, if anything, um, they did try to give him that thing about killing the guy who oh, what, killed his wife or something like that. Yeah, or for an killed eye. my woman, I believe yeah, you said. My, oh, yeah, his woman, yes. Yeah. His woman, his claim, yeah. um, <laughs> his property. Uh, uh, but yeah, so yeah, he's the thing. Um, uh, favorite, any favorite episodes from this season? Uh, I mean, I've always liked uh, episode two, Spacefall. It mm-hmm. uh, just it, it's it's so gritty and so brutal in the in the yeah. way that the the guards uh, treat the prisoners in that. I think it's just a really taut drama. Um, that one's a good one. I liked Seek, Locate, Destroy. I liked the. The Star Wars one, I can't remember the Project name. Project Avalon, yeah, Project I have Avalon's that one in there as one of mine. Yeah, uh, Mission to Destiny is a very, a very odd one-off murder mystery for Blake Seven. It mm-hmm. doesn't feel like at all what the show is supposed to be about, but it's, uh, it's, it's an entertaining romp. Honestly, apart from uh, the web, yep, and I, I think that's probably my least favorite one. I think that's you know, it's, it's, it's an easy pick for me. I think all of them are, are certainly still watchable though. What yep, about you? Yep. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, Project Avalon. Uh, I like Duel. Um, oh yeah, Duel with too. The two yeah. gods. Uh, see here. Um, yeah, see, lo- see, seek, locate, destroy was good because it's a, just a great introduction to um, Travis and and Serverland. Um, the the first three, of course, Brian Blessed and Cygnus Alpha is a treat, and of course uh, Pamela Salem. It's great there. Uh, the, the yeah, the web and time squad was the the rough patch of this. Yeah, the show, and then after that, it's it's pretty pretty rock solid the rest of the way through. Um, I wasn't. Uh, was it? Was it? Uh, breakdown. I don't think I that the one with Julian Glover was a bit disappointing because you had Julian yeah. Glover. Um, but yeah, <laughs> didn't have him in there until the last third of the episode. Right. So yeah, I'd say aside from that, everything's pretty good. Uh, and pro- yeah, Project Avalon, Duel, probably my tops. Um, and the, yeah, I like the the opening three. The opening three. Look, this show's better than that, but it's kind of like that. Uh, the rock solid start, like the the Ninja Turtles cartoon had. It was like real good stuff for like the first like six seven episodes, and then just junk after that. So. <laughs> Wow, that's uh. I so go back and watch them, folks that are gonna argue with me. 
Mm-hmm. I, I once had a day in QC where I got really excited about a season of Ninja Turtles, was handed it, and then was bare, struggled to get through a disc because they had they crammed them on there. And I was like, hey, anybody want to do disc two? Um, trade somebody? <laughs> no one took you up. No. Nobody took me up oh. on it. And it was a big season two. It was like one of those animated seasons that had like 40 episodes. Like, oh, jeez. So... Yeah, we won't be doing Ninja Turtles on Old Space. It won't be Old Sewer Show <laughs> at all. So, yeah, but yeah, Blake Seven. Uh, excited to, when we return to do uh, Series Two at some point here in the future. Um, but Stephen, thank you so much for coming on for this. I appreciate. I had a blast going through the talking about aspects of television production, British television production. Uh, uh, always linking stuff back to Doctor Who. It's been a blast for the season. It's been fun. Thanks for thanks for inviting me along this ride. I've never had a chance to talk about Blake Seven uh, on a podcast or anywhere really before. So uh, this is this has been fun. This has been fun. I'm really looking forward to season two, and I'm I'm not going to watch it until it's time to talk about it uh, to sort of build up that anticipation. All right, excellent, excellent. I will I will get on hurrying up through the next old space show uh, <laughs> to get back to Blake Seven. So uh, one last time, let people know where they can keep up with you. I'm on Twitter at Legopolis. I also do Doctor Who podcasts. You can remember Doctor Who? That was a show. Uh, I do three of them. Radio Free Scarl, Lazy Doctor Who, and The Memory Cheats. Doctor Who might be more talked about by the time this drops. I'm going to think about it. Here's hoping. Here's hoping. It might yeah. be. Yeah. It, it might be. Uh, all right. So next time, hashtag KitKatJam. You can figure that out. Figure it out. But it won't be on space. It'll be on Earth. But, man, that car is out of this world. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brady4KVH. The written work at YSOBlue.com. There's more from the Brady Peters Show. Um, continuing on with the Tim Burton uh, retrospective with Scott Middleton and myself and maybe sometimes some special guests but from old space if it takes all my life I will destroy you Blake I will destroy you once again I will destroy you thank you for listening the Brandon Peters show is a creative zombie studios production produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters written and edited by Brandon Peters Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetersshow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetersshow.com. show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.